1: When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that at any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said... Be a light, not a judge. Be a model, model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. What is up, my friend? B-Squared in the house, Brendan Kumarasamy. Glad to have this opportunity to talk again. I want to talk about something that we didn't even prepare for this, but I want to talk about a guy who you strongly recommended, who I ended up interviewing, and his name is Vamsi. I want you to tell me, what is it about him that stood out that made you want to work with him and have a partnership with him in the business that you're building together now? Why did he impress you so much? Having met him, I could tell you a million reasons why, but for those who haven't met him, what is it about him that stood out?
0: You know, that's an interesting way of starting the conversation, Billy. It brings, it drives this question of what are the criteria that we should be having when selecting the top people in our network? I mean, you've heard all the quotes, the people that you surround yourself with, you become the average of those people. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this as well. But in my case, the short answer with Vamsi is he's one of the few people I've met in my life that actually pushed me. So I'll give you a quick example. At this point in my life, every time I talk about my dreams and my goals, the response I get is always something like this. Oh, Brendan, you're so amazing. You're doing this. You're going to achieve this and that. And it's great to hear. And I I really appreciate all the support that I get. But that's not what's going to get me to the next level, Billy. I need someone who's, for lack of a better word, like not agreeing with some of the things I'm doing, you know, is is criticizing my plan is poking holes in my game. And I haven't met many people like that until I met Vomsey. So I met Vomsey at a 5 a.m. workout at Lewis House's event, Summit of Greatness in Columbus, Ohio. And we didn't really talk that much, to be honest. It was only for a few minutes. But then we connected over Zoom and we met up again in Los Angeles and San Diego. And it was in LA in particular that I realized that Vomsey was just more than someone I was talking to when he asked me a simple question, what do you want to do in life? And I spent five to 10 minutes explaining the same thing I explained to you, explaining the same thing, I explained to every person I have a relationship with, but was unique about Bombsy as he was eating his eggs at like 8 a.m. in the morning, is he just looked at me and said, is that all you're going to do? And I was shocked because I'd never gotten that response before. He wasn't laughing at me or anything. He was just surprised, like genuinely. Oh, is that all you're going to do? You're going to solve the water crisis? and be this big speech coach and help a bunch of people? Is that it? And I just said, what do you mean? They said, well, Brendan, I don't really get that it's taking you 20 years to achieve all of this. I mean, you could do all of this in two years. And I said, what? So then he started asking me (laughs) questions. How do you solve the water crisis in a year? And I was like, this guy's crazy. How do you get to a million subscribers on YouTube in three months? No one has asked me these types of questions. So obviously in the first moments I was taking him back and I thought he was crazy. But after a couple of days of thinking about the questions he asked me, I actually started getting crazy results. I mean, I sold like my first $2,000 program, which back then was like insane. Like right before I met him, like my last client paid me like 300 bucks for a coaching session, right? It was like nothing, like a hundred bucks for coaching sessions or something. So my life changed because what Bomsey does really well that I, that I don't think a lot of people have is he has a very, very low tolerance for average. So if he sees potential in somebody, and even if that person is playing really well, he doesn't want them to settle at great. That's probably a better way of phrasing it. He doesn't want them to settle ever. Even if they become Tony Robbins, he doesn't want them to settle. And that's when I knew Bombsy was my perfect business partner. That amongst other things, he's also opposite to me in every single way. I have an ego. He doesn't. I suck at business building. He's incredible at it. I want to be Justin Bieber and I want to be known for my expertise. He'd rather be the person (laughs) helping those into those people but not being known at all so we're complete opposites and that's why we work
1: the justin bieber of public speaking in the house full effect brendan Kumarasamy, what were you gonna say
0: no but i want to throw this question because it's not an interview of me man it's conversation Be squared so what about you man what are some of the criteria that you look for in the people you talk to the most because what's interesting about you is everyone likes you right you have that eq that likability where Every single person who interacts with you wants to be your friend. But the challenge I found with you is or the challenge I think you have is because you have so many people that like you, there's a lot of relationships you have to maintain. So I'm curious from your vantage point, what are some of the criteria that you think about when selecting the people that you spend the most time with doesn't mean you ignore everyone else, but where you make the decision to say, I want to do a 30 minute show with Brendan, but maybe somebody else in my audience, I want to spend an hour with them or two minutes.
1: I'll say, I think it's evolved and I want to answer this question fully, but I, I want to make sure that I don't leave this off the table, which is the power of thinking big, which is what I titled the episode that Vomsey was on with my show Inside Out. That, to me, is the one of the key criteria that I think is most amazing about Vamsi, and frankly, people who I choose to surround myself with who have an unlimited mindset, and I think we often collectively, human beings place these barriers on what's possible because of what we've been conditioned to believe is possible because of our previous experiences and It's amazing how powerful our mind is. When we let go of these, frankly, shackles, these cages that we place around ourselves and start to reimagine what is possible, having worked at Tesla and being basically firsthand experiencing this Tesla unbelievable growth that happened because of one human being's belief that anything is possible, Elon Musk is the quintessential dreamer slash Unlimited thinker, where he believes anything is possible, provided that physically the law of physics doesn't restrict you from making it so. And so, when I think about people like him and Vomsey and others that have that kind of mindset, that inspires me. So, to answer your question specifically, it's really interesting because I've thought a lot about this over the last year, having experienced Clubhouse and as a result, meeting as many people as I've met. I've thought, who do I choose to spend my time with? Because ultimately, you're right, I do have a lot of friends and a lot of people who I love being with. And so I think I want to put this in two buckets. So the people that I like to hang out with, that I like to have a good time and party with and do fun things with, they may not be the people that I choose to spend the most amount of time with. And the reason why is I've done a lot of partying in my life. I've had a lot of good time, and I'm not saying that I don't want to do that today, but like anything we talked about this yesterday it's like where you spend your time is a matter of prioritization. And so if I'm going to prioritize my time today I want to surround myself with people who I can collaborate with. One, so I'd say that's the first thing. Two, people who challenge me in a way where I get better. And then three, people that communicate in a way that I admire. So I think of it three C's, right? So first C, I just want to find people who would make an amazing collaboration partner, who would be able to do what we're doing now or what I'm doing with Cat or what I'm doing with my partner, Mohammed and Podify. If I can continue to find people like that, those are the people I end up spending the most time with. Because when I'm collaborating on a project, by virtue of doing that, I have to spend a lot of time with them. It's super important to me, the type of people that I collaborate with, I enjoy the company. So Just because my party friends doesn't mean that my collaboration friends aren't people that I have a good time with. Like you and I, if somebody could have seen us before we started this, we're joking around and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. We enjoy each other's company. So it's so, so important that when I'm around people like yourself and Kat and others, you make me feel good. I want to be around people like that. So it's really important that that that's the case. And then it goes without saying, but the communication piece. Is vital. I want to have people that that communicate. And then the people that challenge me, they make me better. They're the ones that have the type of mindset, the type of belief system that inspires me, that gives me inspiration to do more than what I thought was possible. So those would be the three things that come to mind immediately. So let me ask you this though, bro. Because you work closely with him, what does he do with his clients? And then what in turn do you do with your clients? to help you open up this new window into possibility. Because I believe the only thing that prevents us from doing incredible things is our limitation mindset-wise. So what are some practical things that he does with clients or things that you do with clients to help to give them a better sense of what's possible? I'll give you a quick example. You told me you were booking a masterclass. You said, I want to get a 1,000 people to do this masterclass. And I thought, wow, that's super aggressive. You make a Super aggressive goal. That's something that I've experienced you doing. That's an example. But what are some other things that you've either helped people do or you're seeing Vomsey do with his clients?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think what I've seen, and this is what's fascinating about me and Vomsey's coaching business, is we actually share every client. So we do 50-50 on everything. And what we've done in some of these programs, there's a couple of things I think stand out. One is the idea of momentum putting ourselves in the shoes of the client and making sure that we're not overwhelming them with a bunch of information just to showcase our expertise. Because once they're bought into the program, they're sold on the process until the end of the process, unless it gets too slow. So we always put ourselves in in that person's shoe. And that was similar to when I started Master Talk. It was, forget about the speaker I was. That's not important. What's way more important is the person who's just getting started. How do I create content in a way that relates to that individual? And that's why at the beginning of every one of my workshops, especially in the corporate world, I never start with, hi, everyone, I'm Brendan. I'm the speaking coach. Like, no one's going to relate to that. Instead, I ask a simple question. When you think about the word public speaking, what words come to mind? Anxiety, stress, confidence, nerves, ew, no, no thanks. So people start flooding the chat. And then my next slide is literally all of those words. And the slide after that is when I was five years old and why I struggle with communication because my whole life I presented in a second language that I didn't really know, French. So that same idea of just having the empathy to sit down next to your client, imagining yourself going through the process of your own program makes it a lot easier for us to build momentum. So one thing I do more on an emotional basis, probably number two, is I sugarcoat a lot at the beginning. There's a lot of positivity. There's a lot of you can do this. They can do this, but it's more about adding that reassurance that you got this. But of course, when they get into my advanced programs where I'm coaching really senior level people, they've been through my basic program. Well, at that level, I'm a bit more serious. I might be a bit more direct. I might be a bit more in their face. But I wouldn't do that week one of somebody first interacting with me. Mm -hmm. I would say actually an example that probably nails this the best is my kids program. For those who who might not know, I don't think many people know this. In addition to my executives, I also also coach their kids. And the reason I do this and me and Vomsey do this together is not for money, of course. It's because we want to train the next generation of leaders. And it also benefits me with the YouTube channel because it keeps me sharp. The kids, you should never yell at kids. You should never say negative things to kids. Never. It will hurt their self-esteem if they're nine years mm-hmm. old or seven years old. So the way that I need to approach it, especially the first time I did the batch, I struggled a lot because it's not the way, hey, Abby, thanks so much for joining. Great to have you. It was such a struggle at the beginning because I wanted to be direct, but I also needed to be mindful that there was a six-year-old in the group. Mm-hmm. So my technique completely shifted from, hey, Billy, you need to work on this. To Billy, what are you excited about? Billy, what do you care about? Oh, I like video games. Do you like video games? The process completely changed. But I think the lining thread to everything I said, Billy, and I'd love to get your perspective, especially when you worked at Tesla and you managed all of these employees, having the empathy to be in their shoes in their day one and as a facilitator joining them that day one. But my flip question back to you, because you did that masterfully when you worked at Tesla, is when people got onboarded on, into the company, you would tell me about these crazy stories of how their onboarding experience was life-changing. That's how you got promoted so quickly in the program. So my first question to you is, how do you think what I said about having empathy for the end user played into the onboarding process when you were the head of onboarding at Tesla? But the other piece as well is at Spotify, because now you're taking that empathy piece and what's great about that is it's transitioning into other areas of business, especially what you're doing in the podcasting space. We'd so love to hear, man.
1: Yeah, well, I think it goes back to what I mentioned earlier with part of communication is giving others the ability to uh, respond in a way and communicate in a way where they can be understood and compassion, empathy, sympathy. These are all different ways of describing being able to feel others' emotions. And you asked that first question earlier about what do I look for in the people I surround myself. One of the biggest things I look for is emotional intelligence. And part of emotional intelligence is not only self-awareness, but it's awareness of how you interact with the people around you and how you emotionally touch them and how they emotionally touch you, how you're emotionally connected with other people. And so when I think about onboarding and I think about, having empathy for the people that are going through onboarding, they're starting a new company, right? Not only are they starting a new company, but they're working for Tesla. And so understanding the psychology of what that feels like to start a new company and to work for a company like Tesla, it's really important that, one, we can't do anything that's going to detract from their excitement because they're all excited. But also at the same time with that excitement comes some nervousness. And some, probably some imposter syndrome and some doubt and some other emotions that play into the fact that human beings almost by default have this emotional baggage that we carry with us to prevent us from putting us into harm's way. And so because of that, it's really important that I don't care if you're onboarding somebody or if you're leading somebody or whatever it is that you're doing, understanding their experience and how their experience can be altered by just a few things that happen. And one of the things you talk a lot about is details. And so I'm a big believer that when we look at details of anything, that we think about them from a pointless painting perspective. And what I mean by that is a single detail by itself is just a single detail. But when you cumulatively add up a bunch of details, then all of a sudden it creates a experience that is much easier to appreciate, much like you could appreciate a pointillist painting that has all those little dots combined that create this art. And so when I think about the onboarding experience, there are so many details that have to be thought through. And with each detail, you have to be thinking about the emotional impact that that's making. So for example, I know when somebody goes into the factory and they get to see exact process to build these insanely amazing vehicles, that creates an emotional bond to the work, to the product. And so as a result, there's much more, not only belief, but there's purpose that's driving what they do on a daily basis. So making sure that people, and not everybody got a chance to go to the factory, but we did include the factory tour as part of the experience for a lot of the people that worked at Tesla. And because of that, it gave them a much tighter bond to the company and that's just one of many examples.
0: That's amazing, man. I love the factory example. Like even me just sitting here, I just want to go on that tour now. I want to go experience the factory. Should. It's open to the public. I mean, I don't know if it still is, but
1: when I worked there it was.
0: That's awesome. And what what was interesting about that is going into the Tesla piece, it creates I like the point that you made about emotional bond. So you've learned, I feel that's the area I'm sure you had the empathy skills before, but that's probably where you refined it the most because your job relied on it. And that's why you did so well in the company. But then how do you think that skill set, similar to with me, I got that with from case competitions in university when I trained students and then I reapplied that into Master Talk. So how did your empathy skills then get reapplied into Podify into the projects you take on now. First of all, I have a
1: podcast. Know what the pain points are to produce a podcast. I know from start to finish what it takes, how labor intensive it is, how hard it is. It's hard. It's hard not only to make the podcast, but then to market it, put it out into the universe in a way that people will actually experience it. It's hard because you got to spend not only a lot of time in the creation, you got to put a lot of time into the marketing, the promotion. So knowing that and knowing that there are a lot of layers to the process, what was most important to me when starting the company is how can we lighten the load? And with that, always remembering that they're hiring Podify so that they can spend less time doing the things that aren't giving them as much pleasure and spend more time doing the things that is giving them the most pleasure and also having them spend time doing the things that they're best at, which is actually creating the show, recording the show. And so when we're able to, an example would be if somebody sends me a file and the file is not labeled correctly, rather than immediately go to them and say, it's not labeled correctly, I'm going to try to figure out what this file is. Now, there are some cases today I had to call somebody be like, hey, tell me what this file is because we couldn't figure it out. But I know just having that person spend the five minutes on the phone with me is more time than I would necessarily want if I were in his shoes. And so it's really being able to identify with those other people and understand, based on my own experience, what I would want. I take this back to even working in restaurants. I've eaten at restaurants my whole life, but I also worked at restaurants a really long time. And the reason why I was a good waiter is I knew what I would want. You anticipate somebody's needs, you get to. Be able to not only anticipate their needs, but you're able to give them the type of service where they go, wow, where they they get exceptional service and they feel so taken care of that they walk away actually surprised at just how attentive the service was because you're always one step ahead. So there's another example from another part of my word journey.
0: I love that, man. It's so true, right? Because- I actually forgot about this. You know, you weighed tables for all these super cool people and you were in the restaurant game for so long. That's true. You're right. It didn't start at Tesla. It started in the restaurants and then it it went to Tesla and it went into what you do today. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing.
1: Yeah, no, I'm happy to. So, okay, we're probably going to go for another 10, 15 minutes or so. So I want to ask you a couple questions about your journey now in leaving corporate, which... You, to your own admission, left corporate because finally you could have left earlier, but you wanted to make sure you were absolutely 100% ready. And now you're ready. What makes you most excited to be on your own? and What right now makes you most nervous?
0: I would say for me, the, the thing I'm the most excited about with entrepreneurship is you own your time. And I think people, whether they're in their 20s like me or whether they're in their 60s, I think human beings in general don't really get that time is the most valuable asset and not money. And to be honest, I fell in that trap too. You know, growing up, I didn't really have a lot of money. So I was really fixated on that goal. How do I maximize this resource? Not to like buy myself a BMW or anything, but to create a situation where my family didn't have to worry about the next meal, didn't have to worry about groceries or anything like that. Which is something I did struggle with when I was sixteen or seventeen or eighteen and long before that as well. So when I did start making money, and I realized I didn't really need a lot of it to make a living for my entire family, I realized that time was really the big thing. Because many of us trade our youth for corporate gigs. And there's nothing wrong with that. Corporate's a great experience. It's it's honestly a great job. I've been very fortunate. Right. And I always like to say this publicly. I've worked at some really good companies, really good bosses. You know, I've had that fortune. But what I'll also say is we shouldn't just leave our life for that. We need to start thinking about, as a society, should we really be investing 100% of this time that we have that we can't get back into one singular goal, which is moving up a corporate ladder? And even many corporate leaders at the companies I work for said, you shouldn't do that. Even they're proactive about it to say, hey, you should really have some passions outside of work. And one of those passions for me was the YouTube channel where it was Mastruck and it grew into a business. So I was able to exit. So, yes, the thing I'm the most excited about is definitely getting the time back, right? Investing the time. In a way that i can spend more time really doing what i love that means creating more content doing shows like this not having to worry about different types of clients or bigger accounts in corporate really just focus on smaller accounts and ones where i can really be the deal maker and have those conversations with clients i would say the biggest nerve right i mean there's definitely a lot of challenges with entrepreneurship but i would say the big one is just uncertainty you know The benefit with employee uh, or being an employee that I think we see so many posts, I'm sure you know this. They're like, oh yeah, you should never be an employee. You should totally be a business owner. I don't recommend entrepreneurship to anybody, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think most people should start out as employees because there's a magic, there's a benefit to being an employee. And the benefit is you learn a lot, you have a stable paycheck, and you get training if you work for the right company everyone's funding you. They're investing in you, your resources. They want you to grow if you pick the right one. So there's a lot of benefits to being an employee. And that's the con of entrepreneurship, uncertainty. And that's why one of my rules that I'm I'm moving forward with is I need a six-month emergency fund. Sometimes I feel there's a bit too much money in my bank account because I'm saving too much. But it's always that fear that what if I run out of money? Because if I run out of money, I either have to take on debt or I have to go back to corporate. I'm open to going back to corporate if needs be. It was a good experience. But at the same time, it's about saying, well, actually, I want to be an entrepreneur for life. So how about we optimize my cash flow? So yeah, that would be my my short answer to that.
1: What are the biggest threats that you feel could prevent you from seeing the success that you know you're capable of, that I know you're capable of? What are the biggest threats and how do you plan on overcoming them?
0: Very interesting question. I have to reflect on that a bit more. It's It's a fascinating one. But I would say right now, as I think about this, my biggest threat right now is if I get too cocky. I know that's very simplistic. And we say this all It's more like wisdom. People in their 20s, biggest mistake is their egos are too big. In their 30s, their mistake is they replace responsibility for passions. They say, oh, I have a mortgage now. I have a family now. I have kids now. So I'm just going to focus on that and doing things. So they make excuses. In their 40s, it's more about just being too old and then 50s, 60s, and then the retired. So in the 20s, I would say the game is really the ego piece where I am doing well in my business. I need to stay humble. I, I mean, you know me, I'm not, I'm not a bad person, but it's important to stay that way because you never know what's going to happen. So I would say the worst, the threat I can think of right now is not preparing for the worst case scenario. What if my business partnership falls, breaks up, really don't think it's going to happen, but you have to plan for it. What happens if my pipeline dries up? What happens if my clients don't convert into my future programs? Because they're not seeing value from the first one for any reason that I didn't think of or that I didn't predict. So those are a couple of things that come to mind. But on the bright side, though, what I will say is I'm definitely in a good business in the sense that public speaking, regardless of how technology will change, will always be relevant and people will always need a speech coach to help them. So I guess I'm lucky in that way. I don't think the market is going to wipe me out. I think it's be about having a consistent sales process and making sure that I'm constantly bringing in leads and not getting lazy about it, especially when I'm being more successful. Those are a couple of thoughts that I have.
1: Okay, so makes perfect sense. I'm with you on the ego piece and you got to have within the framework of your plan, a lot of guardrails to prevent you from potentially going far down a path that will be difficult to come back. And yes, there's always going to be a potential for something to go sideways, including even things that you might not think will happen. And so being prepared for those things potentially happen is important. As we reflect forward and we think about this forum and this format, I'm curious what types of topics, as we look forward and think about what we want to talk about, what are the types of topics that get you most excited that you think would be valuable to share with people who are listening and, and watching on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on Facebook? What are the topics that get you most excited and make you want to share with other people?
0: Yeah. And I'd love your thoughts on this. It's a beautiful question. But you know, the way I've seen this live, you know, now that we're in day two of this is it's very similar to Clubhouse. And I was telling other people like Kat this, where Clubhouse was a medium where you could test out ideas. Mm-hmm. so let's say we were as an example we were two weeks into clubhouse and somebody asks us how do you moderate on clubhouse what tips do you have and me and you would just look at each other and go billy give me five minutes let me write something and invent something so i start creating thought leadership while you stall this was literally what happened and then five minutes later i said billy i think i'm ready and then billy you would hype me up and go yeah brennan's got this framework that i don't know he's gonna say but let's see <laughs> and then i said it and maybe half of it was really good and the other half was eh but the point is that next time we, we got asked the same question well half of it's already good now now that same five minutes that they are giving me time for now i'm just refining the other half that wasn't good mm-hmm. i see linkedin live as the same thing or Facebook Live, or any type of live, wherever people are watching this from, as a testing ground of ideas that aren't fully refined. So for me, topics of discussion, the more ex- eccentric, the better. You know, How do you find your life purpose? How do you be a better leader? Especially the business community on LinkedIn. What does value actually mean? right? How do you actually deliver So How do you create experiences where people want to keep watching? How do you build an audience of raving fans? fun tactics as well. You know, like my whole uh, send people voice notes, how do you develop a cult following? How do you develop community? Those are a couple of things that stand out. And more importantly, things that we believe about any industry that most people disagree with. That's probably the most fascinating one of all.
1: That's where my head was at. I'm really fascinated by this notion of when we think of anything that is a commonly held belief that exists in any number of industries. Why there's the fascination with those beliefs being debunked or proven wrong or proven to not really be as valid as they are? Why why there's a fascination with that? And is the fascination just that we like seeing things that are different, or is there truth to those things maybe not being what they've been built up to be? And so the contrarian approach to life, if you look at Gary Vee, for example, so much of his content is built around finding ways to take what most people believe to be true and turning it on its head. And so I'm I'm fascinated by this not only because it's interesting to watch when somebody effectively disagrees with someone else or something else or a concept, but also because why as human beings are we so interested in that? That topic right there is amazing for me and I want to explore that the other topic that you brought up there, which I'll echo, is the tips and the very specific tactical approaches to build a business, to grow on social media, to do the things. And this is why I want to invite some guests on. I'm, I'm deeply curious about automation, especially business automation, to where you could create systems that will effectively do the work of what would have taken people, but now you could do it without people. And believe me, I'm I'm a people person, so I'm not saying replace all people. But if a person can be replaced and you don't, you got to ask yourself, why? Why aren't you doing that? And I think there's a lot of cases where you can leverage technology and there's more and more popping up every day where not only will it replace a person, but it'll actually do a better job and faster job than a person. And again, this is not me being like, bring in the robots because I don't like humans. I love humans, but I think the humans should be figuring out how to architect systems so that we could advance far greater than we already are. The other thing that I'm very, very curious about is talking about the future, which ties back to the previous topic. So talking about the future of social media, talking about the future of technology, talking about the future of business trends, the way things are going today versus how they will go in 5 10 15 years because that right there it's mind-blowing stuff and if we can explore those things and bring on guests that can have a really meaty conversation with us that would be super inspiring and then the last thing is obviously I love podcasting I love growth on social media I love business and of course we're going to talk about those things but all of those things And this is the flip side of automation in order for them to, I believe, to have the the type of growth that is meaningful. It does start with people and talking about the emotional side, kind of like we did a little bit today, talking about leadership, talking about emotional intelligence more deeply than we did today, uh, I think would be a fun area to explore. I want to thank we got Andy foot in the house. What's up, Andy and Abby? Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'd be happy to take a look at your podcast. Go ahead. Go ahead, B.
0: And one quick point about everything you said. You know, the, going back to what I said before about the stalling. Now I have some ideas, <laughs> right? I see three big themes right now based on what we discussed. This is what I think people can expect. One is controversy. where How do you take commonly held beliefs and challenge them on a show like this? The second one is practicality. And this is something that me and you are both very passionate about. I mean, Master Talk was born on practicality. Not because I wanted to entertain or be this influencer, but because I wanted to give tangible, practical tips. And you did the same thing with Inside Out and For the Love of Podcast. And the third piece is community. Especially on Clubhouse, we always want to include other people in the conversation. Abby's here. Andy's here. Gary's here. Rossi is here. Right? We want to include other people in that conversation. So I think those three themes are are probably a a good uh, direction that we'll be going into.
1: Right. And you talked about building a community of, of raving fans, finding your tribe, building your tribe, being a part of a community, like you said, of people who you can learn from. I mean, I've learned so much from Andy Foote, for example. And by the way, man, Andy, Brendan's now taking LinkedIn very seriously. So if he's not already following every piece of content you're, you're putting out, I'm going to let it be known right here, right now. You need to follow everything that Andy says. He is the godfather of LinkedIn. The inventors of LinkedIn got the idea from Andy, for sure. And there is no one I've learned more from, period, than Andy as it relates to LinkedIn and how to not only how to be effective and to do the things that will help you build a community, but doing it the right way. And that's what I appreciate most about Andy is that if you read his content, he advocates for doing it the right way. And he is very, very direct about avoiding the wrong ways. And to me, that is a a testament to the leader that he is on the platform. And you'd hear the word influence a lot. To me, influence is about making an impact and he makes an impact. So Andy, appreciate you, man. All right, we're going to wrap up here. We will do this again. We don't have a firm schedule. We're being very fluid. And to Brendan's point, we're testing. And part of that fluidness is we want to hear from you because we are not married to one style, theme, or anything. We're going to explore whatever we think will be valuable and contribute to the community here on LinkedIn and on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch and anywhere else that we end up going because I know we'll be on other places. So we do welcome thoughts. So please feel free to send either of us a DM and let us know where you think we should take this. Uh, it's a fun journey to be on. I've been wanting to do a live for quite some time and now I get to do it with my partner in crime, Brendan Kumarasami. If you haven't yet checked out Master Talk on YouTube, go check it out. And you can see all of the amazing content that he puts out on a weekly basis to help people master their communication skills. I'm Billy. I uh, am excited to be part of this journey and feel free to check out anything that I'm doing with my company, Podify. At potify.com. You could check out our services there. We do producing a podcast, helping podcasters do all the things that maybe they don't want to do, like editing and repurposing their content and creating websites and SEO and all those fun things. We will take that load off of your plate. So, Brendan, I'm going to leave it to you for the last word to close us down.
0: Absolutely, man. You know, I think that, like you, you know, I firm believer in, I love the testing. I love, the community that we're building here, and it's going to be so much fun doing these lives together. And like Billy said, you know, we're super open to feedback. This is, I guess, the message to leave you all with. Even we're still trying to figure it out. Whenever we enter a new medium, we jump in it with the beginner's mindset. And there's an interesting quick story about that. I remember when me and Billy started moderating rooms on Clubhouse, and Sean Canal came into the room, Mm-hmm. was the CEO and founder of Think Media. So it's a YouTube channel that's multi-million number of subscribers. But what impressed me the most about Sean, and still to this day remains the most fascinating person I've met on Clubhouse and in terms of shock factor, because he, he was asking questions as if he knew nothing about Clubhouse or nothing about social. He just sat there and said, Billy, what's your opinion on this? I'm trying to do a room on this. And he would just sit there and take notes. And he sat in that room for two, three hours. Yep. And I think the lesson is, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you always adopt that beginner mindset like we are, you'll always be successful. So use this as an excuse to create your own content. Do your own life. We don't know what we're doing. And I think that's the beautiful thing about this process.
1: It's so true. When I interviewed Liz Wiseman and we talked about her book, Rookie Smarts, one of the reasons why people who don't have experience excel is they're not afraid to ask questions. They're not afraid to experiment. They're not afraid. There's no dumb question because it's all new to them. And they're not coming in with preconceived notions of what they should be doing. So they're more likely to use what Elon would call first principles thinking, which is another topic we could explore. So there's a lot in store. Can't wait for the next one. And thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you all soon. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.